Hi, it's Lisa. Welcome back to The Healing Path, a podcast created to connect our broken hearts as we journey into honest conversations about grief and loss in our daily lives. Following the deaths of two of my children, I struggled for many years to fill the holes in my heart. I tried everything, prayer, meditation, therapy, coaching, reading, journaling, you name it, plus a couple of less productive approaches. After two decades of coming up short, I realized I was focused on the wrong thing. Instead of trying to fill those holes, I've learned that building a life around them is a much more worthy goal. A major part of this approach is talking openly about what my grief is like, instead of keeping it all to myself. With this newfound permission to let all the parts of me be here, I feel more human and less like a robot on autopilot. So I created the Healing Path podcast with the hope that sharing our stories in a compassionate environment will help us to stop working so hard to hide our scars from ourselves and others and start wearing them proudly as the medals of love that they are. Thank you for joining this episode of The Healing Path. Today, I'm chatting about a post called Untethered. When our daughter Alexis died in 1997 at 13 months and five days old, I was in shock. Despite all the complications she'd faced and overcome, her body just was not built to survive. We'd spent most of the second half of her life at Children's National Medical Center in Washington, D.C. Our longest admission was nine consecutive weeks. Shock is not an uncommon response to the death of a loved one. One moment, we're embracing someone, and in an instant, they're gone. We see the light literally dissipate from that person's entire being, sacredly and steadily, until they, perhaps like Alexis did, open their eyes for one last view of the world, followed by the release of their final exhaled breath which takes their spirit right along with it. I say shock's not uncommon because when someone or something dies, it takes our neurology some time to buffer and allow integration of this new information to settle in. When it comes to grief, this can take years, even a lifetime. During this period, we can feel untethered. The strength of our connection with the deceased is in direct proportion to how difficult it will be to wrap our literal heads around the finality of that person's ended existence. We might still see them sitting next to us or hear their outcries that no longer exist, like Alexa's sweet voice saying, Mama, Mama, Ma. She's gone, but not for me. And this contraindication of reality versus shock and disbelief is what brings us to a flailing around of sorts. I often describe this feeling of being told the sky is green instead of blue, or that down is up, up is down, that it's like being in a full body sleeping bag, the really heavy down kind, that puts a barrier between us and reality. We know things have changed but it doesn't sink into our bones until we let it. One way to encourage this process, which is a natural part of healing and grieving, 
is to find a home base, in parentheses, thank you, Jeff Warren, at com.com. Unlike the home base we incorporate in a practice of meditation, where our home base is what we feel as our feet touch the ground, or from our bodies in a chair, or the rhythm of our breath, our home base in grieving must be intentional. It must be chosen, sought out, and pursued. My experience is that security and a feeling of being truly tied to something has to be a decision that we make when we're grieving. In 1997, when our daughter Alexis died, I did just that. For one thing, I tethered myself to creating a new identity and career as a PICU nurse. That process of finding the right school and program and actually doing it took up a lot of time. But I needed something else. I needed a place to go where no one knew my story, where I wasn't seen with relentless, heavy, and thick sympathy and awkward attempts at small talk. I needed to tether to something neutral, something natural, and something beautiful. So with all of my education and college degrees, I walked into the local nursery and took a job at the counter where I would greet customers, take floral orders, and even get to create some of my own. Prior to 1997, I had no knowledge of this world other than the occasional flower delivery I sent or received. The names of the flowers and how to take care of them were a new language altogether. Learning which flowers were fragrant and which were just beautiful but had no scent, and how to integrate them into a cohesive arrangement that looked pretty were just a couple of the skills that I would newly develop. We have to start where we are. Tethering ourselves when we're free-falling in a tornado of grief is critical to start the arduous process of healing. It's a reminder to our brains that there are new things in the world that we have yet to see, understand, and create. Without something to hold on to, we can easily get swept up in the current of, quote-unquote, stay busy, feel nothing, and carry on. I certainly tried this for longer than I wished I did. And it is one way to go. But eventually, getting swept up in the tornado, it really only delays the grief work that we must inevitably do. If we are going to truly survive our loss, this work must be done. Latching onto some new, albeit temporary job, volunteering, learning a new skill, and tacking our lives down with a random interest we may have never been able to indulge, like working at a flower shop, is, in my experience, a pretty well-proven way to keep an open mind and be present. Months passed, as did the holiday season that year, while I went to work at the nursery. I shared nothing of my daughter's death or what I was dealing with. I showed up, learned what I could, and was able to tether to this new schedule. In total, I may have continued that job for a year, maybe 18 months, and eventually I shared my beautiful little baby girl's story right up to and including my pursuit of a nursing degree when I wasn't working at the nursery. Eventually I wanted to open up, but I did it in my own time. Grief can pull us out of the ground by the roots and storm and thrash and blow debris everywhere. It challenges gravity as we struggle to find a true north and stop spinning. 
None of this away, none of this goes away by tethering to a part-time job at a local florist. But what can happen is we can have something to hold on to, something that allows us to fly more like a kite that is being blown but is secured than a burning ember floating and eventually turning into nothing. The kite route still sucks because we're still processing pain, but at least we have something to connect us to the moment, the ground, and our new reality. If you are hurting and trying to find your way, you might consider doing an activity that you've never tried before. Join a gym where no one knows you and walk in there like you still are human. Practice participating in life in some new way that says to your brain, hey, have you seen this? Or check this out. Enthusiasm won't arise on its own when you're grieving. But as an intentional choice or activity, you can declare, I'm tethered, I'm grounded, I'm still alive, I can survive. This is a key lever that we can pull when our brains are in disbelief, when we're free floating with no anchor and we feel untethered. If you are grieving, I truly am sending compassion and peace in your direction. This is a club no one wants to belong to, yet here we are. My hope, as I always say, is that sharing our experiences will lighten the load for new members as they join us too, and we all try to survive the loss of love. So thank you for joining this episode of The Healing Path, just talking about trying to connect or or attach and secure in some way when we're grieving. I think especially if we've lost someone who's been in our daily lives, and especially if we were their caregivers or their partners or their parents or all of these things, we're going to feel just these big, huge voids. And the best way I can describe it, my own experience, and it's, again, idiosyncratic, but I, I feel this untethered just seems like the right word because it's like you're floating around and there's just nothing to to put you into a system of any kind or it's like you don't know the days apart or what season it is or, you know, you're just kind of moving along and you see things, but you, you know, you don't feel like you're there. You don't feel like you're showing up. And this is a really very normal and natural part of the grieving process. It's just being in shock. So my remedies for this are to try to just tell your brains that there's something else to do. Because when you just sit in the grief, you really have no shot. It's a little bit like quicksand because the deeper in you get, sometimes the harder it can be to get out. There are ways of systematically and intentionally making room for that grief, especially with the help of a professional or someone that you feel really close to. And that's also a really big part of being able to heal is being able to, to share your experience. But in the very short term, if you're really flailing, finding something new that gives your brain something to focus on is a great way to try to keep your brain, you know, clicking, even if it's a little sludgy because of the grief and the blurriness that comes with that. So even doing a a puzzle or an adult coloring book, I recently got a coloring book that was all mandalas and it's beautiful and some really nice markers that go with it. Just, you know, I haven't colored or done a puzzle in a long time, but um, 
it could be something like that, or it could be a trip and, you know, traveling to something new. But if it's, if day to day you're feeling really floaty or untethered, I also think setting an alarm is another really effective strategy. If you're a late sleeper, just, you know, set it for the time that you can reasonably agree to get up, you know, at this point in your life. For me, that's 620. For others, it might be 1220 in the afternoon. But the idea is that you get some sort of a system in that, you know, getting for one thing, a regular wake up time and a regular bedtime are going to really help you create that structure if you really are floating and or, as I mentioned, my own decision to go work in a flower shop for a year and a half, just put things into my mind, into my, you know, my reticular activating system, that part of the brain that sees something new and then seeks it out. Um, it could be a new relationship. It could be, you know, taking up a new sport or picking up an instrument. And it also making that choice gives you some anonymity so that if you want to share your experience and the difficulties that you're going through, you can, but if you don't, you don't have to. So, you know, you could go stock shelves at the store or volunteer in a soup kitchen or, you know, there's just an unlimited amount, limited amount of things that you can introduce your brain to as a way to take it out of just the kind of bouncing around that we do when we're untethered. So thanks for joining this extra long episode of The Healing Path. Uh, as always, if you have comments or experiences with this, love to hear about them. Please go to the website, lisamcfarland.com and share. And until next time, stay present, stay grateful, and stay healing. And as always, thanks for listening.